Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. That's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. You might hear me whispering because I'm recording this at like 3 in the morning, This morning, trying to get this show together, and I don't want to wake up my house. But I want to get the show out to you because I'm excited about this. So thank you for <laughs> checking out the ASMR version of the Fish Nerds. Uh, now, there's a lot happening today on the podcast. First up, we're going to do the news. Then, we're going to do a product review of the Deeper Sonar. You know, I've been promising these, and so finally getting them out. We're going to talk about a uh, awards ceremony, a very important one. And we're going to update you on the gross bait contest and a few other little things. Uh, but the news is the primary, the primary occasion today. So we're going to open up with the news. And we recorded this live in Kansas. Uh, not at Emporia State. We were driving between Kansas and the airport, or between Emporia and the airport in Missouri. And I don't know where we were, but uh, it came out really great. You're going to hear a lot of background noise and stuff, but it's uh, totally good. So here is the news. Okay, fish nerds, I'm so lucky because I'm in Kansas. I don't even know what town I'm in. We're on some truck stop coffee shop. Uh, what called that? Was it Common Ground? Ground house. The ground house. Uh, and John King, a crappy hippie, is hanging out with us. That's me. And Doc Martin is here. Hello. Zoe's over there somewhere. Hoy hoy, she says. Uh, and we're going to take advantage of us all being together, a rare opportunity to, to do some news. So here is Fish in the News. Go I ahead. love Fish in the News. Everyone loves the Fish in the News. <laughs> news, news, Fish in the News. Everybody loves All right, so headlines from Nat Geo, National Geographic. Some rivers are so drug polluted, their eels are high on cocaine. That's the headline. Uh, and uh, subtitle, illegal drug residues in the water could be effective native fishes. And this is not new information for us, right? We've, we've known. No, this is really not new information. We've known this for a long time, uh, that there are at least drugs or things in the water right. that's not surprising and the eels are especially attracted to cocaine like that is their drug of choice oh yeah we, we talked to them a few years ago we got it all all planned out yeah but they like the pure stuff uh, they, back in the 80s they were into the crack and now they're back to that purity of the, of the, <laughs> of the powder. yeah i know all about the the dry i haven't heard about cocaine but i know that the <laughs> hormones and the downers and all these other things are giving fish strange growths and strange um, moods and uh so here we go with uh Eels up all night. Eels up all night, right. They're making bad decisions. I love it. All right. Critically endangered eels hyped up on cocaine could have trouble making the 3,700-mile trip to mate and reproduce. This is what new research is warning. Uh, And while societies have long grappled with with ways to cope with with the use of illicit drugs, less understood or downstream effects of these drugs might have on species such as eels in the aquatic environment. So in the name of research, scientists pushed cocaine on European eels uh, for 50 days in a row. I love the phrase, pushed cocaine on eels. It sounds like they're like hanging out and like, hey, eel, come here. Come here. I'll give you the first taste for free. 
<laughs> That's how it's done, man. That's how it's done. And then those poor eels are now broke. They're stealing from their moms. I mean, they just can't. <laughs> I can't keep up with the habit. So for 50 days, uh, what, what happened was, and we read this already, uh, but the, the, the researchers took these eels in a tank and they gave them the exact same amount of cocaine they were found, finding in the Thames River in England. And so the water in the tank matched roughly what they were seeing in the Thames River. And they had, of course, a controlled tank of eels that weren't getting the fun stuff. You know, the, the boring eels. They were the, called the squares. Did <laughs> they get... I don't think so. In the art, in the actual article, I'm sure they do in the research paper, uh-huh. do they give concentrations of any of this stuff? They don't actually give the data. So. Okay. No. So. Um, like that's a good question. So this is a problem <laughs> with doing any science with Doc Martin around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, National Ge- Geographic is for people like me. Yeah. <laughs> They kind of dumb it down a little bit. Um, so <laughs> A lot for people like me. Yeah. So we all know the history of European and American eels. They're the same population of eels. They're all born out in the Sargasso Sea. And so really, they're really concerned about how this impacts them. Um, the eels are vulnerable, vulnerable to trace concentrations of cocaine, particularly in their early lives, according to the researchers of the study published in the Science of Total Environment, which I've never heard of that. It's the total environment. Total, man. <laughs> Oh, they're on drugs, right? Totally. totally. <laughs> <laughs> Data shows uh, a great present of presence of illicit drugs and their metabolites in surface waters worldwide, uh, says Anna Capaldo, research biologist at the University of Naples, Federico, and the lead author of the study. She adds that water near densely populated cities is even worse with some research showing particularly high concentrations in the Thames River, which is where this study is kind of focusing. So, again, high concentrations in comparison to what? I don't... What is a high concentration? Right. So That's, now, that's my... I'm sure the so, research paper did it. Now, Nat Geo is... is <laughs> their audience is not Doc Martin. <laughs> their audience are people like me with a fourth grade education. Yeah, and I got people out now making eel stew, expecting to get high, and so on. No, We've now increased the street value of the eels. <laughs> Uh, Capaldo and her colleagues put eels into water with very small levels of cocaine, about the same amount found in the Thames River. They so found- is it small levels or is it high levels? Because that's contradicting right there. Sorry. Well, so <laughs> it, <laughs> the way I, Zoe loves you, by the way. Uh, so do I. So the, the, the actual amount in rivers is a small number, but it's high Compared to zero. Compared to zero. Which is what it ought right. to be, because cocaine is typically not naturally found in streams, right? right. Yeah, I know, I know that, but yeah. I'm giving them a hard time. So they, they found that eels appeared hyperactive, but showed the same general health as drug-free eels. That's why I assume they had a control group of the drug-free eels. Probably. Uh, but their bodies told a different story. They found that the drug accumulates in the brains, muscles, gills, skin, and other tissues of the eels. The muscles of the fish also allowed, showed swelling and even breakdowns. And the hormones. Go ahead, Doc. Just jump in. I just in. have a question. So yeah. um, I just wonder if the accumulation happens. Is that a permanent accumulation? Or there's probably some time period where after it, it gets in there and then it would go away. Well, I would let's think, talk but... about this. Because after they did yeah. all this testing, they did have them drug-free for a period of time to measure those oh, results. Oh, okay. So they yeah. did. Um, yeah. I seem to skip ahead a little bit here. So they called it a... Well, I think the bad thing about it is that they're stuck in the river. So where are they going to find clean water to ever get clean? You know, right, you can quit doing coke, and you know, but if you're stuck in a river and you got to breathe river water, you're pretty much you know screwed, right? That's true. I'm stuck yeah. in my crack house. I can't get out. I was going to go clean, but all I got was crack. But I, I guess when they get out to the ocean, they get a chance, for, you know, for a few days anyway. <laughs> but then they have plastics to deal with. 
And that's where they go to spawn, so that's where they really wanted it. But, okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> now, now the, the real fear they have is they worry about the cocaine mixing with their dopamine receptors or cortisol receptors and, and allowing them not to be able to build the fat up they need to true their migration at all or what they need to spawn. So they're really worried about what's going to happen. They actually don't know anything. They're just preliminary measuring. So they probably got a grant. <laughs> Justifiably concerned. Mm-hmm. There you go. Emma Rossi, a senior scientist at the Carrier. Emma Rosie Marshall. Rosie, you know this lady. Uh, I yeah, I wouldn't say no. This like is we're a not colleague. friends. This or is anything. one of Doc's uh, colleagues. <laughs> yeah. So do we? Can I have a story? Let me tell you what she said. Okay. And then we can hear your story. <laughs> uh, Emma Ro- Rosie, I say it right. Yeah. Is a senior scientist at the Carrie Institute of Ecosystem Studies who was not involved in the study. Uh, she says that Capaldo and her colleagues used environmentally relevant concentrations of cocaine in their research. So that's good. She says the cases where drugs are involved, it might take a much higher concentration to kill any organisms. So they're not going to OD. So do you worry about that, John? Uh, <laughs> but even low concentrations can still have an effect, especially in terms of things like predator and prey interactions. Now you can talk about it. Okay. So I know she used to be at uh, the University of Notre Dame, and I know the fans that have listened for a long time know that I come originally from Indiana, although I live in Kansas now. And I don't actually know her. I don't think she has she has any idea who I am at all. Um, but when I was an undergraduate, I was doing research, and one of my very first projects in biogeochemistry was looking at inorganic and organic um, nitrogen uptake across multiple trophic levels and blah, 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 blah. So biogeochemistry, that's that's what she does. That's her forte. She's pretty famous about it. She's probably one of the big deals in that thing. Kind of a and big deal. She's kind of a big deal. She has many leather-bound books. And <laughs> um, all I remember is I was so excited because this was my very first international conference as an undergraduate. So that was a really big deal for me. And I was giving an oral presentation in front of it, a really big audience. I had over 80 people there. It was really exciting. And all she did was she sat in one of the first rows and talked and laughed throughout my entire presentation. So she was rude to you. Yeah. And I don't, she probably has no idea it was me, but I happen to know it was her because she's, you know, a well-known person and it really hurt my feelings. That's my experience. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> Man, that stinks. Yeah, that does stink. But, but a bit. I'm sure she's really, really nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You wonder, though, in your life, have you ever been that person? Oh, I'm sure I have. And you, don't even, you have no idea that you hurt someone's feelings in that way, and they carry that, that chip on their shoulder. Poor no, Doc. there's no chip. It's just Doc the memory. Doc is so mad. Like, when I, this name, in our research earlier today, this name came up, and Doc started yelling, face red, tears coming out of her eyes. <laughs> that's, that's not true. Totally <laughs> scary. And she's, yeah, so. Uh, oh, I, I, I can't even imagine Doc mad, but I'm sure when it happens, it's, it's something to behold. Oh, show her some bad research. You, will <laughs> see it. Yeah, actually, I have, I have uh, done some recordings for Clay about bad research that got me really upset. And I wouldn't let him air it on the podcast. Yeah, That's it's, definitely it's, happened. It, it, it's next level. Yeah, I remember the flat earther thing. All right, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. This comes up daily. <laughs> so uh, to wrap this up, anyway, they yeah. did try and detox these, uh, these, these eels for 50 days. And they found no change in the animal's um, physiological change. From since once the drug damage was done, the drug damage stayed 50 days after they were done doing drugs. So that's – and they don't know the implications or what's going to mean. This is all just like it could mean a lot of things or it could mean nothing. Can I – 
ask Doc a question. I mean, is 50 days enough for an eel to, to recover? I mean, I, what's their growth rate? What would your expectation be? When you do be? cocaine, Doc, how long does it take you <laughs> to recover? <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I guess it would depend exactly when in their life cycle it would hit. Are they? Is this something that they're getting and then it's going to impact them leaving to go on their migration? Is it going to have long-term effects on their reproductive ability? Um, or is it just like, hey, we found this, there is damage, but it actually doesn't do anything. I mean, that's a possibility where, yeah, there's some increased levels. Maybe there's some physiological effects that are measurable. That doesn't necessarily mean they're biologically relevant. Um, so I know they say high levels or low levels or whatever they do in the National Geographic article. I'm sure they're much more specific in the research article. But I wonder, you know, whatever the concentration is, if they say it's it's high or higher, I mean, is this like a 0 0.001 increase? Is this a, a tenfold increase when they're affecting behaviors of things like, you know, something's happening in the brain or production of proteins or stress hormones or whatever it is? How much is that affected? And that's, I think, the key for me is just... Because just because there is an effect doesn't mean it's meaningful. Although it is interesting, so it's not. Well, I'm not trying to discredit it. Right. But that's so it's it's worth point. knowing that that it does something, and then further research before we know what it actually does. Right. Yep. Well, it's yeah. It's always good to see. I like studies that look at potential rather than waiting to things are completely jacked up and saying, oh, "Yeah, we looked into it and it's jacked up all right." So yeah, it, you know, no need to wait. Right, yeah. It's definitely better to look now and say, oh, hey, this could be a problem in the future. We need to start working on it than being like, oh, hey, guess what? We don't have eels left. Well, that's <laughs> a, well the whole problem with this thing is the, the only solution would be to either A, we have to all stop doing cocaine and we all love it so much, or <laughs> we'd have to have better water treatment from our from wastewater plants. I mean, that's the only two solutions. The first one's not going to happen because we just love it, but the second one is possible. We don't show you. It's a joke. So, <laughs> and that's that's a sort of a literary we, not an inclusive oh, me no. we. You want to know why I'm so high energy? I'm gonna tell you a secret, John. So he's not drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay, next up from Men's Health, so you know it's gonna be good, Doc. Uh, man tries to cure constipation by putting a live twenty-inch eel up his anus. Doc, what's the science behind this? I don't. Want to, I want to. Uh, it's got to be cocaine related, right? <laughs> gotta be. <laughs> he, he he told doctors initially that it was it just swam up there all by itself. <laughs> is, okay, so being like a teacher person, that you hear excuses for things, and that's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get my paper in because I was swimming in the Neo show. Uh, uh. And all of a sudden, an anus appeared. <laughs> I, I, I just want to, I, I don't know if you bother reading the article, but the, <laughs> but I, I just want to know, like, first of all, how long do you have to have an eel there before you decide, I have to go to the doctor? Oh, my God. I, I made a huge mistake. I, just, I made a terrible... And what was the exit strategy? Well, yeah, I mean... It's, <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll read. It. I'll read some of it. We'll see how far we make it. A, a Chinese man had to undergo emergency surgery to remove a live eel from his intestines, <laughs> and, and he told doctors that he had put the eel up his anus in order to cure constipation. Zoe, have you ever been constipated? No. 
No, you know what that means? It means you can't poop. It means you can't poop. And when you can't poop, do you think, hmm, maybe an eel? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think the, how many other things did he consider before landing on the eel? Like, was eel his first <laughs> try? Yeah, I was like, um, oh, I mean, gotta have an eel. Well, I was like, imagine some guy in his apartment looking around. Okay, I can't poop. Okay, what do I got? I got, hmm, I got goldfish. No. <laughs> I got lionfish. No. Eel. You know, the third choice. Well, maybe he knows a lot about eels, because at your seminar you talked about how eels will swim through underground caves and swim across the road, and, you know, that eel was clearly trying to find a way out of there, all the way up into the intestine. Good times, right? Uh, so, anyway, uh, according to an article published by The Sun, the man had been experiencing constipation and was told by his friends, <laughs> I mean, his friends had a great time with this, <laughs> to try this folk remedy as a cure. Uh, this is from Men's Health. Heads up, there is zero scientific evidence to back up that an eel would do anything for your digestive system except wreak total havoc. I, I do have some advice for the man is that he may want to look into some new friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to read I'll the Learn rest. what just kidding means. Yeah. <laughs> well, because we all have those friends. I'm in, like, like I, when I was younger, I had a friend who had terrible acne, like, just face covered in acne. And I. Just for fun, I told him, I heard if you put toothpaste all over your face and let it dry and wash it off, it cures it. And, you know, it's just something that's always worked forever. And, you know, I had beautiful skin like I always do. And so he went home and tried it. And the next day he was so mad at me and I couldn't stop laughing. And so I can imagine a scenario in my 20s where I so might you're have the said, friend. I am that guy. You're the guy. Not the, not the guy. Right, right. You're the friend that I'm gives the, the advice. I'm the instigator. I'm the guy who says, yeah, eat that slug. It tastes like bananas. I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, oh that's news, Doc. Well, that is news. That is news yes. what, is the, what is the actual real cure for constipation? Oh, good diet, hydration. I found it this morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, do we do we really? I mean, this is getting away from fish and fishing, but you know, it all goes to one place. Yeah, glycerin suppository. <laughs> I mean, really? No, I went to uh, Kansas. I had uh, this this restaurant called Brahms. Oh, I yeah, okay, and, I know the cure. And, and oh, no. their coffee was the cure. Like I had, I thought I was going to die this morning. I broke. Thank God Donald Trump's president and released, changed all the EPA regulations because the laws I would have broken two months ago, you know. <laughs> all right, next up. <laughs> Killer whales are murdering great white sharks and ripping off their testicles, among other things. Do, do you know what testicles are, Zoe? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> John, you want to explain? It's one of those great, funny words. Yeah. Well, you've been in Kansas a while. You ever seen a pickup truck going down the road with a, <laughs> with a little thing swinging off the bumper there? Um, Chuck uh, when you When they talk about Franks and Beans as a euphemism for a man's junk pile is parked. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, you, you got Franks, and then you got what? Well, then you got beans. What do you think testicles are? Okay, now you know. Okay, yeah. you don't have to touch They're the Franker yet. to beans, right? right. <laughs> I'm glad we had this talk. Thanks, John. Uh, <laughs> killer whales living off the coast of South Africa are really living up to their name as they're currently brutally, brutally killing and mutilating great white sharks. Hmm. Killer, hmm. Hmm, hmm, anthropomorphize much? Uh, killer whales are murdering, murder, great white sharks, ripping out their liver, stomachs, and horrifyingly enough, their testes. Talk about adding insult to injury. 
It's hard to believe the king of the ocean would be so viciously attacked by another creature, but scientists say it's not surprising. Yeah, so if we had a video of this, you would have seen me shake my head and roll my eyes (laughs) while Clay is reading this. (laughs) Immediately, immediately, Doc starts saying, you know, Clay, that's what all animals do. Yeah, Yeah, eating. That's why you're laughing. Yeah, because yeah, eating eating is an act of vicious violence, right? And nature's like this. It's not cruelty. It's it's not cruel. It's just what they do. Well, and most animals start at the crotch. I mean, that's just you know a weak point and a great place to start. I don't care if it's a coyote or a wolf or whatever. You know, that's a very vulnerable place. But but what's special about great white stock? So special about the liver? You yeah. mean yeah? So the liver is. Uh, Basic fish anatomy, so your bony fishes, stuff that live in fresh waters, a lot of them, not all of them, have um, gas bladders. That's how they are buoyant. But sharks have livers, so they're full of oil. has a gas oil. bladder. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sharks don't have that, uh, so they use um, fat in, and oil in their livers, and that's how they maintain buoyancy. And the my, my fun fact, this is one of my favorites, it's multiple layered, so just bear with me here. But squalene is one of the components in shark livers. And the article does refer to this. Yeah, it, the article actually says this. Um, so there's a few things. The second thing is I've seen a news article that's absolutely fake news go around from anti-vaccination websites that says, oh, there's squalene in vaccines and it's super, super dangerous. And so I point out that one, that's technically different because there's different kinds of compounds of squalene. It's also natural in shark livers and going on with more anatomy, the female vagina. Oh, good. (laughs) There you go. This is full of anatomy I'm, today. I'm so glad we're having this talk. It's so, just wonderful. Yeah, it's a, it's a good life we live here. So, so the the but but this the whole article is really just because a few sharks washed up on the beach in South Africa, missing that part of their body, and and so scientists are just guessing what's happening. Scientists aren't guessing; they're saying, "Oh, they're shark." They, they have swag, which is a scientific wild ass guess. That's right. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and they're just saying, it "Looks like the killer whales are hungry." Yeah, right. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, livers are very nutritious. So are the insides. So the fact that the killer whales are attacking these sharks kind of in a soft point in their bellies and eating out what's in there is close to zero percent surprising, I think. Okay, let's move on because we have one more thing I want to talk about. And this came up in the Fish Nerds Facebook page. Uh, Doc, you want to read this? You can just do a voice. You can be the voice of the amazing James. Oh, gosh. Oh, Zoe wants to do with the oh. voice of the Amazing James. You want to read it? I follow ice junkies outdoors, even though I don't have ice fish there. I've never been part of the culture. My mind was recently blo- blown by a post encouraging people to make artificial reefs by sinking trees, but built of vinyl siding because it's cheap. It would be surprise. It was. A surprisingly popular idea, based on what I read, and I got sucked down a rabbit hole of discussion threads on why it's not actually a good thing to put up plastic plastic in public waters. Apparently, though, there are some places where DFG allows it. What do you think? Am I nuts? Okay. 
So he was saying, he's seeing on these ice fishing other groups on Facebook, which he should, by the way, not be in any other Facebook group that's fishing besides the fish nerds. People are talking about making artificial reefs out of PVC. John, you had an opinion on this one. Yeah, I, um, you know, I have a lot of, I can see where some of these things are exciting. It goes on the side of a house. It lasts a good long time. And that's, you know, so why not? But I think when we start using waste construction material, we walk a fine line between dumping and, you know, reuse. Um, you, you have companies like Fish Tree that make these things, and they say they're, they're non-degradable and they'll last forever. But, you know, are we thinking it's forever 50 years, 100 years, 500 years? Does Fish Tree make the ones out of the PVC pipes? That, well, like they're, they're, they look the like water? PVC, and, but they're, you know, you've got to look at different types of polyvinyl chloride. Some break down in the sunlight, can only be used underground. You know, we all know what happens to certain plastic bags and stuff, they, and different types of uh, piping. They get brittle. A lot of PVC that's meant to go underground will get brittle and just start to crack and break apart. Uh, obviously, theirs don't do that. I'm not going to attack Fish Tree here or any others. I would screw those bastards. Well, I don't know enough either <laughs> way, but I, I, and I was real careful, you know, because people are trying to make a living here. But, but I would prefer to see people use natural because, you know, I here in Johnson County we have a big construction boom going on. I drive by a pile of burning trees every other day. Um, I wonder when we talk about people tend to look at their own lifetime, uh, but we got to look at, you know, hundreds of lifetimes on down the, the road. And, and do we really want man-made stuff in the water when we could have natural stuff in the water? Because yeah. it all comes back to convenience. The fishing game here even puts plastics uh, trees in because they're like it saves them on manpower. But as, you know... Uh, the dead Kennedys, give me convenience or give me death. You know, I think sometimes we're choosing death when we go with convenience. Yep. So and it's so, a lot better. And so in places like Kansas where you don't have natural ponds, you've, you've got to create, it's a, it's a man-made pond, you've got to make all the man-made habitats. You're kind of forced in that direction. Most of the country we have all these natural big lakes and you see this happening. I, I, it becomes a big concern, big concern. Now, we have to start though by defining what is pollution because is using natural stuff polluting is or is it only using unnatural stuff well i think that's an excellent question and once again we talk about you know down the rabbit hole if we one problem the the fish and game department has they pile so many cedar trees in one spot that they smash down after a few years to where there's no habitat space in them so now you just basically are creating pollution you're just creating a big wad of organic material that's going to suck up oxygen as it decomposes and uh you know, that to me is, is uh, pollution through error. Um, so, you know, the argument could be made, hey, it's better for them to be using the fish tree because they're, you know, they were researched out by crappie fishermen and, you know, there's space to certain <laughs> We all way. know that crappie fishermen are the best research scientists. <laughs> hey, they're out there. They're doing it. You know, they are doing I, you it. know yeah. I, I think sometimes the, the live lab of life is the best one you can have. I think Although so Doc may yeah. uh, disagree. I, uh, I, I think, you know, what... what <clears throat> What guys figure out, what, what fishers, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen figure out, um, has perfect validity. Um, so you can, you know, you certainly can argue back and forth, you know, and I'm fine to listen. You know, we don't have to get nasty about it, but, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a natural, you know, nature boy yeah. type thing um, that, that, you know, I, I cut a lot of firewood. I have a lot of brush. I use brush in my pond. I know I'm going to have to replace it, but... Talk to me when I'm 78 years old and I'm tired of cutting and dragging brush and just want my crappie to stay in one spot, I might have a different opinion. Right. And ultimately, that's the goal. The goal of most of this stuff is not to create real, when people are doing it themselves for fishing, they're not creating real habitat like a real reef. They're creating a spot that keep the fish in their spot. 
And, and that's really the difference between creating a reef like for habitat and keeping a reef for fishing, you know, for your, under your ice shack. I, now, the, the PVC ones that you were talking about, they're like tubes. The big advantage of those for fishing and the reason people like those so much is you're not going to snag on them like you would. And then the question is, are they better because you're not snagging, so you're not losing your monofilament and your tackle under the leg? Um, do people retrieve them every season and clean them and put them back in? Like, so that the, how we're using them probably matters more than anything. That's an excellent, excellent, excellent point, you know, because here I am. I have a lead-free fishing company. I don't want lead in the water. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, you lose a lot of uh, bugs when you fish in natural cover. And, of course, we get into that fishing ethic, that, well, not ethic, but that fishing snobbery. You know, real crappie fishermen can feel that jig go through the brush, you know, won't lose a jig. Yeah. And, and it, you know, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, first of all, we all know once you're on that level, you've done it so long that, that uh, well, I'm not on that level. And so I understand why, why people love to use them. And I do have buddies that put them in the slips, put them in the docks in the wintertime, and then they pull them out and clean them up, store them, and, you know, take good care of them. So it's an excellent point. I'd like to see them like umbrellas. So, like, you drill your six-inch ice fishing hole, and you got this stick you put down. You pull a lever. They pop open <laughs> under the ice. You fish for a few days. You drill your hole back. You pull it back up again and move on. I think that portability to me seems the way to go if you're going to do it. But we just talked about this in the car, and it seems like anything you add to a lake, probably pollution at some level, depending on your point of view and where you're coming from and what it does long term. So. Uh, be careful and check your local laws before you throw anything in the water because that's yeah, or most just, states it's illegal. Right, so you have to do it at night. But um, <laughs> and Doc is is sitting here, you know, she she's being uh, 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 silent, but I would like her to chime in because you know it really is something you've got to think of the whole. This is the great thing about hanging out with younger people because they, they get you to think of the whole freaking picture, you know. And don't get mad. Hear everybody out and really consider the other side. So, you know, ultimately, what is pollution? Profound question. Excellent. Doc, what's pollution? Um, so, you, yeah, this is a great question. So it's like asking what is a fish, right? So yep. there's different definitions depending on exactly what you want to know. And I know everyone that listens to me is always like, it depends. Ha ha. That's my, always my answer. That's right. Um, but it is. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Um, in general, I tend to be pretty, I guess, liberal in my definition of what pollution is. I would prefer to consider certain things pollution that may or may not really be pollution because I like to err on the side of caution. So, um, is it really hurting the environment if it's something you put in there, you know, and then I think in this case it's temporarily, you stick it under the ice or whatever for winter, it's made of PVC, you can pull it out, um, probably that's not really a big deal, it's not sitting in there, how many of them you put down there and they get, they get lost or they fall away or whatever happens. Um, I also wonder just basic wear and tear over time. Um, I know that microplastics are a big deal right now um, in all freshwater and marine systems. So I wonder just if these are getting bumped and knocked around, how much are they contributing to something like that? And I don't know the answer. So. Um, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Am I going to say do it or don't do it? I'm not going to. I'm not going to do either of those. Things. She's saying. She, she's actually saying don't do it. <laughs> I, I'm it. not going to do it. She, she, said, she won't do it. Um, and by the way, you might have said microplastics to me in the last four days thirty times. 
I know. I'm really excited about it. Because you're doing some research it. on microplastics. I am. Yes, you? that's yeah. correct. Do you want to quickly share what you're doing? Uh, well, uh, okay. So I've been keeping it a secret because I wanted to. It's for my students, and if you follow my Facebook, I'm having my students do a project this semester. They're all mostly freshmen, so they're 18 year olds. This is one of their first biology classes. And they have to do a research project. And I decided that instead of getting in their little four-person groups and if I have to read another presentation about why, which kind of bread molds the fastest, I was just going to rip my hair out. So I thought, let's do some real science, something that they can go out, actually collect, and do all of the steps. So I happened, I think my father sent me an article on microplastics sometime in early August and I read it and I was like, first of all, that's really interesting. So it's something that's relatively new that people are hearing about in the news, which is cool. So the students might be aware of that, maybe. Um, if not, there's plenty of recent articles across multiple news sources that are talking about this so that I can show them that it's something that's current. And then um, I went and I downloaded a paper with really meticulous methods and I just read through it and it, it turns out it's not very difficult, which is also good if you're working with freshmen that don't really know what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, we've been working on this project all semester. I had them go out and sample different places across the entire state. Um, I helped them do the processing of the samples. And then um, we sat in lab. And after we finished our actual lab, we sat down under microscopes and they quantified all the little microplastics from their own samples. Um, I'm going to help them with data analysis. We do some chi-square and t-tests in class, but this is going to take something a little bit higher quality. I hope everyone's keeping up. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, they have just gotten, their, uh, they've had to find a peer-reviewed PDF. So we talk about what peer review is, how to know if it's a credible source, which is a very important skill. And they just turned in their summaries of the article that they found today. So they actually have to read it and understand it. And that's the hardest part. And then I'm going to write up a mock manuscript, like a real scientific manuscript with exactly how you would do it for submitting to a publication. Um, I would actually hope to submit this probably to a local publication. And all of their names are going to be on it as long as they have done all of the work. And they, uh, their final project, project then, instead of them sitting and trying to write some article that never really turns out very well because no one knows what they're doing, um, they have to edit mine. So they have to read my article and they have to point out things that where I've made a mistake or, hey, this information doesn't make sense. And so they have to kind of still critically think. And so that's what we've been working on all semester. And it's just going to wrap up in the next couple of weeks. That's so cool. And you're, <laughs> I'm telling you that students who get you as their freshman first science teacher in college are lucky to have you as their teacher <laughs> because they're going to come out with, if they get through your class, which, which they will, they're going to come out with this passion that you, you deliver. Like when you're with the kids, you're so excited about everything you do. And that's really, I think, the critical thing of teaching. The thing that all teachers, I don't care what level they're at, are missing. If they're not doing it well, it's that passion. And so nice job, Doc. And it's been fun hanging out with you too this week. Yes, this has been really fun. So yeah. thanks for coming out. All right, Grabby Hippie, you want any final say here? Any final uh, party Well, thoughts? just thanks for letting me in on the party. I, I'm so tickled that you came out here to Kansas. And uh, I find it uh, believable, yet unbelievable, that you have these little concentrations of fans and got three correspondents right here in kansas so i'm so glad fate you know brought us all together i cried a little bit the other night when i saw everyone <laughs> in one place because to me this is the fish nerds is a passion project it's something i do because i love it not because i'm getting rich from it and so when i have people who care enough to show it's true um but when i have people who care enough to show up and like 
just be there. To me, that's I'm so touched. Clay's crying right now. I am. Really, do you see <laughs> this? This is real tears. This is not a joke this <laughs> like, time. Like I get really genuine. It's genuinely a passion project, and that's me. So I love all this stuff. So thank you, guys. Oh, you're, you're welcome. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All right. That was totally fun. We are back. Okay, now it's time for a product review of the deeper sonar. Now, um, We'll start with a little description. You can, you can get this thing at uh, deeper.com. Uh, they sent it to us, which is really nice. We appreciate that. Anyone who wants to send us free stuff, we're, we're all in. We can't promise you a going review, but we can certainly test your stuff out and talk about it on the show. So I was sent the Deeper Sonar from deeper.com. And uh, here's what I think. First of all, here's a description from their website. You control, map, scan, and catch with Deeper Smart Sonar Pro, then use it as an ice flasher in the winter. This versatile, powerful fish finder scans down to 260 feet using a rock-solid Wi-Fi connection to send detailed sonar data direct to your smartphone or tablet. Mark fish, locate structure and features, map out any water from your kayak boat, uh, or boat and start fishing smart with deeper pro right, and when you get the box it's just a cool little box and it has a very badass looking black ball with a fuel ca charging cable so not a lot not not a lot of parts which i like and it charges up quickly and is ready to go you're going to need to download the deeper app to your phone which is free i was using tested this out on an iphone 6 and full disclosure i got this at the beginning of the summer. Now, Rich Collins, our fly fishing correspondent, had one last winter, so I have used this before. This is not my first time. This is not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, but let me start with open water, my first impressions. As soon as I linked it to my phone and tossed it into the lake, I was tethered. I, I tied to the boat, of course. Um, it started working. And I was super impressed with how easy the screen was to read. And, and uh, like I said, it's a graph style. Uh, screen and I found it much easier to read than the uh, Lawrence thing I have on my boat. Lawrence, I found very. If I was reviewing that, I would be a good review, but I hated it <laughs> for a long time because <laughs> it was hard to use. This is easy right away, which for a dumb guy like me is great. So immediately, um, I always feel like man, ah, totally winning. I saw structure, I marked fish, and I easily figure out how to catch more fish. So a pretty, pretty good review so far. Uh, and I know a lot of guys who use these out of their kayaks, and they love them. And you can buy this um, fancy extender bar. So you want instead of having it float in the water, you can have it attached to your boat, like on this arm, so it's more solid. Um, but they're they're pretty good right off the, right out of the box. Um, now. Let's talk about uh, ice fishing. Now, the first time I ever saw these was on the ice, like I said, with Rich Collins. Uh, and we were using it in the flasher setting. It's kind of good. You just toss it right in the fishing hole. And you set the flasher up, and it works. You can set your screen to split. So your flasher on one side of your screen, the other side could be your, your, your graph, which I like that. Um, and it marked fish and your jig the same as like a Vexlar or a Hummingbird. Uh, and, and for 200 bucks, not bad. I mean, it's pretty good. And the other thing cool about it, when you catch a fish, all you have in the water is a circular ball. There's no strings, so you don't need to pull it out of the water 
when you catch and release a fish, it just rolls out of the way. You catch a fish, it rolls back in, and you're good to go. So pretty good. Now, here's the downside. The downside is nothing to do with the deeper sonar at all. It's more to do with your iPhone. Uh, anyone who ice fishes with their iPhone, not using it for bait, but using their iPhone on the ice, will tell you they take it out of their pocket, the cold wind hits it, and what happens? It shuts down. iPhones hate the cold. So you're limited on your use with your iPhone. I don't know how it works on Android. I don't have an Android. I'm not tech savvy enough to learn two things. I'm good at the iPhone, so that's what I use. So I'd love to hear what people think about it with the with an Android device. Now there's some workarounds. You could have your iPhone on a charger. You could tape tow warmers, the little charcoal packs behind your iPhone, see if that heats up. You can use it inside your ice fishing shack or use it just on nice days. Um, but I mean, overall, it's pretty good. That's not a dig on the deeper. That's a dig on the iPhone. So <clears throat> a bad review for iPhones in the cold. The deeper worked good. Catch a lot more fish. Way cool. I think uh, overall, I love it. And I think that if you know a kayak angler or ice fisher and you want to get them into a versatile sonar that they can use, uh, 200 bucks is not bad. I bet they're a ton of fun around docks too. Like imagine like uh, going to one of those big jetties or big docks on the ocean and tossing in there and seeing what's happening under the water or um, or using it like uh, just around your regular boat dock and seeing what's going on under the water. So a lot of fun, a lot of good potential for this. You can get yours at deeper.com or Amazon or wherever wherever things are sold. They're, they're available everywhere. Um, and 200 bucks, not bad. Um, it's, it's really hard to justify. A lot of people love the $600 flashers. I, I like them, I, but it's hard to justify spending that kind of money for most people. So $200, you're in a winning situation. So good positive review. I'm going to give it uh, five fishies. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we took a week off two weeks ago. We had a, we did the A to Zombie rerun show, Zombie, Zombait, and we were talking about gross baits. And I decided to run a contest, the gross bait contest. And we're giving away a Fish Nerds beanie. Now, our beanies are made out of 100% pure fur bearing trout fur, and they're lined with the fuzz of a bearded. Atlantic hagfish beard. So like you can't get any warmer or cozier than that. Uh, and you could win one by calling 607-378-FISH and telling us uh, your name, of course, and to tell us about where you're from and the grossest bait you've ever used. Give us a little story. Here's an example from Paul Chomo and Paul Chomo makes the Varmint podcast. Chief Executive Fish Nerd. Clay Groves, this is your buddy, Paul. How are you? Hey, you wanted uh, stories about gross fish bait? When I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and I hung out with a bunch of misfits, and we, we put all sorts of weird chemicals into our body to have fun, one really gross thing that we did was we would, like, pick up uh, half-smoked cigarettes, and we would continue smoking them, and we didn't really care whose mouth had been on those cigarettes. And then we would take those cigarette butts, and we would go fishing with them, and we had a little pond where we had bluegill, and they would absolutely hit on anything. You could put anything on a hook, and they would they would bite at it. They would hit it. 
And so we would take these little cigarette butts and we would chop them into little bits and we would put them on a hook, put a little lead sinker on there so that they would go to the bottom. And we caught bluegill, we caught we caught uh, catfish, we caught gar on uh, yeah unused double used cigarette butts. <laughs> Yeah, so there's my gross fish bait story. I'm sure other people have much nastier fish bait stories, but there's mine. Bye. Simple. Call it in. Leave it. I'm going to run this uh, probably till mid-December. Right now we only have like three entries. I'd like to get about 10 or 12 entries, make it worth doing. So give us a call. You can win this fish, and fish Nerds beanie. <clears throat> and if you want to get a beanie for yourself, I don't have a sales page for these set up right now. So if you find me on Facebook Messenger or on Twitter or the Instagrams, I can send you a link to pay and I can send you one. I have hot pink, I've got black, I've got green this year. And they're super warm and just perfect for Christmas and for nice warm heads. I love All right. As you know, this podcast is funded by you, our listeners, for over at Patreon.com. Quick update. Um... We have all these awards levels. I just sent out the top-level awards, the Fish Nerds beanies. Um, I just ordered a new batch of Who Rags. So all you $2 donors who are waiting for your Who Rag, they're coming. I just have to wait for them to come in. Looks like they'll be coming in uh, late December, early January. As soon as they come in, you're going to get them. Um, And, of course, everyone's going to get decals. Uh, and of course, Christmas is coming, and we do our annual Christmas cards. And the only one who get the Fish Nerds Christmas cards are those um, who have been on our effing good list, which are Patreon subscribers. Go to Patreon.com/slash/FishNerds and help us crowdfund the show. We're hoping everyone gives us one dollar an episode. If all of our listeners would do that, I could quit my job and be a full-time millionaire podcaster, or at least. I'd have dozens of dollars, so head on over and do that. If you donate at the $25 level, I will mention your business on the show. Our friend Josh Lopes at lopestax.com does just that thing, and now I mentioned his business, so that's it. Go to go to patreon.com slash fishnerds. Okay, now finally, we are bringing back the Pescatomy Awards. I first wrote this award, I made these awards back before the podcast was even born, and I was going to do it annually, and we did it one year in our writing and never did it on the show. So now we're bringing it back. If you're following along with us on the Fish Nerds podcasting group or um, Instagram or on Twitter, you will see this come up. I'll put a link here on the show notes for episode 213 so you can link to it. And about 10 categories, you pick the best podcast, the best YouTube channel, the best Facebook group, whatever. And we'll run it for two weeks. And those will be the nomination phase. And then after two weeks, we're going to eliminate a whole bunch of stuff. And the finals voting will begin. Um, so stay tuned for the Pescatomy Awards. It's a huge gala event coming up uh, either January or February. Uh, we'll make a big deal about it. We'll have a great time. There'll be a red carpet. will be top hats and all the fun stuff. So go to fishners.com and click on episode 213 show notes for a link. Um, I'll probably put better links on the site somewhere too. So check that out. All right. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We would like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast. 
go on Fishing Quest and do the silly things that nerds do. Super special, big, happy thanks to the crappy hippie. You can find his lures at glasswaterleadfreelures.com. And you can find Doc Martin uh, at, at our Fish Nerds Facebook group. And of course, we want to thank our friends over at Emporia State University for hosting us there last week. We love them. And of course, heck of a big, heck of a big thanks to uh, the whole state of Kansas for being just so nice. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early, <laughs> spawn often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast.